Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Asheville, North Carolina. Welcome to the show, Chris Larson. Victor, great to be here. Thanks so much. Great to have you here. You're active in the Asheville market. I love Asheville. It's such an amazing town. It's not a big town. Maybe many of our listeners have not visited, but if you have not visited, boy, you have to go. It's just so beautiful there. Before we dive into the details, maybe Chris, why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey? Yeah, Victor, thanks so much. We've uh, we've actually been in Asheville for 15 years. My wife and I moved down here after coming down for our first anniversary. And, you know, the universe works in in interesting ways. And I had a had a friend that uh wanted me to move to Charlotte and take a role with him and ended up ended up coming down here with that company um to Asheville instead. Uh and I was with the I was in the medical device space at the time. I uh, spent 18 years in that space. But if you rewind, a lot of people ask me, they're like, well Chris, when did you move into real estate? And I always tell people it's funny. That's like the most backward question I get because I started buying real estate when I was 21 years old in college. And I was racing bicycles at the time. I went to Virginia Tech for engineering, specifically biomechanical engineering. And I uh, I really didn't want to be an engineer though, Victor. I wanted to be a professional cyclist and my team actually went pro. Uh, they went pro the year after I quit. And I quit because my best friend, my training partner, my roommate passed away. I raced mm. for another year after that. And you know, it was the it was two years after he passed away that my team went pro. But I I knew that there was more to life than just riding my bike around in a circle. And you know, when you're training 15, 20, 30 hours a week, and by the way, Asheville is a great place to train, but when you're yeah. training that much, you're really giving up a lot in life um to do that. And I was I I thought to myself, I'm meant to do more. And I didn't want to have regrets. And I thought, am I really gonna be happy if I die tomorrow? by just riding my bike around. So I ended up quitting a year after my friend passed away. And the reason was that I won, I was, I was actually winning a lot of races. I was a category one uh, cyclist, which for all intents and purposes, you're a professional cyclist at that point. All you have to do is take out a pro license if you're cat one is, and again, that's what my, my team did. But I, I, I stepped away because I didn't have the passion anymore. And as I thought through this and thought about what I was meant to do and that I didn't want to have regrets and that I wanted to really live life to the fullest, one of the things that dawned on me was you have to have financial wherewithal to do that. The fact of the matter is in the world that we live in, you have to have financial resources to live life on your own terms. That's something I don't know if we talk enough about in society, but you know, we talk about slavery in the past. Slavery today is debt. And if you don't have the ability to control debt in your life and money in your life, you, you're a slave to somebody in some way, shape or form. So I said, no, that's, that's not, I'm going to have control of my financial life. I read over 250 books in finance, business, stock market, real estate, got an MBA in, fi- in finance and portfolio management. Um, in addition to uh, my undergrad in, in biomechanical engineering, um, actually considered going uh, to work on Wall Street. But again, I wanted to have a better quality of life than that. Um, and I decided that real estate was going to be my path forward. So I bought that first property at 21, uh, really continued to manage a residential portfolio for the next uh, little over a decade. About 10 years ago, we moved into the commercial space, specifically into multifamily, first as, as, as limited partners. And then within a couple of years, we uh, JV'd our first deal with the group that we were working with, syndicated our first deal in 2016. And since then, 
Uh, we've done, I think we're up to uh, three, you know, three dozen or, or so uh, syndications that we've done across multifamily, over 4,000 doors, self-storage, uh, over 12 different facilities there. Mobile home parks, 14 locations. We have five more under contract where I was on site yesterday doing due diligence, and then also 30 car wash locations as well. I love it. Well, so we're we're pretty much kindred spirits with very similar journeys. Um, I actually went to engineering myself as well, uh, although I did love engineering. I really, I really did, and spent a good chunk of my career there uh, before transitioning into the world of real estate investing full time. So today. If you fast forward to today, you're active in a number of markets, you're continuing to do deals. So we've we've gone through, obviously, a tremendous amount of change. Asheville as a market has grown up quite a bit. And, and, I'm, and I know you're not just in the Asheville market because Asheville is a small market. But what are you seeing from a cycle perspective? Obviously, we've had interest rates go up dramatically. Uh, we are seeing a lot of apartments get to the limit of affordability when we actually look at how fast wages are increasing as compared with the amount of rent growth that we've seen over the last few years. Uh, what, what are you seeing? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Victor. And uh, you know, you uh, you're probably smarter than me because you actually became an engineer. I just I just went into sales and you know worked with the surgeons um, in the OR. But I'm still a numbers guy, and I look at the numbers, and you know, I like to look at patterns. I like to look at big big patterns, things that you can kind of bet on. So I got in the medical device space because of the baby boomers. I said, okay, if I'm going to spend 10 or 20 years in a career, I want to have a rising tide that's helping me out. Well, when you have the most affluent, most active generation in history, they're probably going to want to stay active. And what does that mean? If they're, they have a bad knee or a bad hip or a bad shoulder, they have surgery to have it replaced or have it repaired so that they can continue being active. That means you're going to have a lot of a lot of uh, patients. You move to an area in the Southeast like Asheville, where a lot of people are moving and retiring, has a large retiree population. That's another rising tide. So I, I looked at those same things and that's why we got into multifamily, but it was more because of the millennials that were moving into the same space. So you have these big tides that shift and move and you know i think one of the things that you alluded to is you know the how the price right we had an undersupply of apartments we have an undersupply of housing units today to the tune of about 4 million on the apartment side 5 million on the on the home side on the starter home side and this is highly highly in, um concentrated in areas like the southeast like texas um like florida you know, versus, you know, areas that are, that are shrinking in terms of demographics. Um, so that's, that is definitely affecting this, but the other thing that's affecting, you know, things like interest rates, because what are interest rates? Interest rates are the price of money, right? So it's the more people that want to borrow money, the higher interest rates are it's supply and demand. It's like a PE multiple in the stock market. So we saw this back in the eighties. You look back in history, the real estate cycle repeats itself on average 18.6 years. You can go back all the way into Chicago where they started recording this in the mid 1800s. And one has to ask themselves, like, why does this cycle repeat? And I think multiple different reasons. But if you look at credit and credit creation, where does credit come from? This country was founded on the premise of private property. So the ownership of land is a core tenant in in. America. And I know we're kindred spirits in multiple ways. My wife's from Canada. I know you're from Canada originally. Um, so the United States is unique in a lot of ways, but if you own a piece of land and that land goes up in value, the bank's going to give you a significant amount of credit. 
as that credit increases, you can go out and you can develop as, as you and I do, Victor. You can purchase more land. You can um, continue to, to grow the value of that property. And you know, we, we think of the value in terms of, hey, we have NOI and the value is in the building. Well, that value ends up basically flowing through to the land. And that's what, you know, because the, the building depreciates, right? So if the building depreciates, where's the where's the value actually going? It's going into the land. And as that value goes up, what happens is more credit is created and then it flows into the banking system. The banking system lends it out at a multiple of what's in there. And it's a very, it's a very virtuous cycle. This typically happens in two seven-year periods, seven years up, mid-year slow, mid-cycle slowdown, seven years up into a four-year slowdown. And anybody that's listening can say, eh, I don't know about that, Chris, but go back through history and it repeats without fail every time. You can listen to me at the end of 2019 predicting the downturn in 2020. You can go back and you can see that that downturn correlated with 9-11. You can go back and see the correlation to the savings and loan crisis where I watched both my parents lose their jobs in the early early 90s. You can go back and see the inflation that we faced in the 70s and 80s that we're also seeing again right now. And what happens during this period, what's interesting is interest rates go up, but land prices continue to go up as well. So I think we are right in the middle of that second seven-year period. And I think that we're going to see um, a, a really strong real estate market for the next three to four years. Um, but there's a lot of things, you know, you and I were talking about the commodity super cycle, there's geopolitical cycles. Um, all these things are aligning towards the end of this decade um, and all point down, frankly. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the fourth turning, there are these macro cycles, there's no question about it. But yet, we often, when you dive into the details, you tend to look at it and say, well, yeah, but the catalyst was this one thing. And this one thing is not repeated in history. For example, why would a pandemic in 2020, where does that fit? That The timing of that, obviously, is not happening on any particular cycle. Uh, it just happened when it did. And then there's other things that were you may have geopolitical instability that are catalysts for things to change in the market. All of a sudden, the price of capital goes up because all of a sudden the government's printing more money. And now in order to sell that debt, they have to price it higher in order just to sell it. There, there's things like that that you, you know, I think the astute investor would look at it and say, okay, I get the super cycle that this is the average, but what are the real effects that are causing this to happen? Why is it happening? And uh, what can we do about it? When, when when can we see it coming as opposed to just looking on the calendar? Well, I think Ray Dalio, which his book is Principles for Navigating Big Debt Crises, and actually Neil Howe wrote The Fourth, the fourth Turn, or The yeah, Fourth yeah, yeah. Turn, That's right. here is his latest, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, one, one, would, one could say the same thing to Neil Howe, which is, wait a minute, you're telling me that you know this has happened like clockwork with generations every you know, 80 to eight, 80 to 90 years. I think he says 20 to 23 per quarter turn. It's not the same war every time. It's not the same generation every time. Um, there are things that, that push that off. So I think, you know, and same thing with Ray Dalio, but he talks about, I think everything that he talks about in um, his principles with uh, respect to debt and credit overlay perfectly with respect to this. So I can't tell you exactly how it's going to occur, but I think from a demographic perspective and from an overall credit perspective, we've seen it, we've seen it repeat, you know, so it's the same reason we got it. It's the reason we got into spec homes 10 years ago 
And then as, as rents go up, you see um, commercial real estate improve. Later on in the cycle, like we are now, things like operating real estate, senior housing, mobile home parks, car washes that are going to disproportionately perform when inflation kicks in and not only rents, but also the underlying services go up in value, right? In, in cost and prices that are going to affect this. All of those things consistently have, have repeated in history. So, you know, I think I don't, I wouldn't predict, you know, what you can do on a day to day or month to month or even year to year basis. But I think, you know, when you look at what performs well at different points in the cycle, I think, you know, these are things that, you know, if you're making bets, these are things that you can bet on. And as we go into the end of this cycle, you want to be positioned in very low leveraged, high cash flow investments. And you want to be building your cash stores as well, in my opinion, because you were probably going to see, I don't think we're going to see screaming deals over the next couple of years, as a lot of people are saying, frankly, I think you're probably going to have to wait four to six years before we see that. Interesting. Now, there's one school of thought that says, now, of course, when we talk about leverage, you want to make sure that you're not over leveraged and you don't get upside down. But leverage is one of those things that is a huge advantage in an inflationary environment. When the money is devaluing, the effect is threefold. Number one, you wipe out the purchasing power for those on fixed income. That's the part that is socially very distasteful. Savings get wiped out. That's also painful. But then number three, debt gets wiped out, all three. So if you know that, how do you organize your affairs to come out on the winning side of that equation? It's by loading up on debt to a responsible level because that's ultimately the license to print money. That's the license to uh, have that wealth transfer occur from the devaluation of the currency is by loading up on debt and using leveraged on fixed assets that are income producing to liquidate that debt in future dollars that are worth less than today's. That's the name of the game. Why are you saying go low leverage? I think it's all relative, right? So we're not saying no. We're not saying no leverage, right? We're saying reasonable leverage. So um, what have we seen over the past five years? We've seen, for instance, multifamily operators at 70, 80, 90% debt when you factor in the bridge loans and the um, the seconds that are put in there. And that you know, we've always we've always looked at seventy percent as kind of the top end of the LTVs that we're looking at. So I think, you know, in this environment, fifty to seventy percent is more reasonable. It seems like the commercial banks and the agencies um, concur with that, right? Because they they're lending at say fifty to fifty five percent now. Um, so yeah, I think I, I don't disagree with you at all when it comes to inflation. Like if you if inflation is higher than the interest rate that you're getting you're being paid to borrow money effectively, right? So that's terrific. However, what we also see at this point in the real estate cycle is the dollar weakens. So as, as an American, sometimes we're insulated by this. We don't really think about that, but I think you can also think about that. So you know, you, you may not want to be holding cash or dollars during this period. Bitcoin, I think, is, a, is inherently a short on the US dollar, um, which, which could be interesting for some people to consider. Um, but if you're going to have assets, you want assets during an inflationary environment that real estate is, is terrific, right? It's, it's going to be producing dollars in an inflationary environment and rents are typically going to increase during that period. So if you have debt that it's a lower late lower rate than inflation and your rents are going up in inflation, um, I think that's, you know, that's a terrific play. And what I was um speaking to before is, you know, if you have 
a senior housing property, a car wash, a mobile home park, where there's there's also an operating component inside that that compounds the income coming off of that. It's obviously more complex, right? It's more of a business than a, than pure real estate play. Um, but if you have that, you're actually amplifying the effect of inflation and you're amplifying the benefit that you're getting without increasing the leverage that you have to take on. Yeah, I love it. Well, Chris, if uh, folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Yeah, thanks. Thank you very much for that, Victor. And uh, yeah, would, would love to love to continue this conversation for um, a lot longer. But yeah, if you'd love to learn more about what we do at Next Level Income, you can check out our website, nextlevelincome.com. Uh, we have a free book there, which you can get. And if you put your address in, we'll even send you a copy. You can learn more about uh, the investment opportunities that we have in multifamily, self-storage, mobile home parks. We just launched our new co-GP mobile home park fund. Um, as well as our car wash opportunities. And you can just click on the invest link um, or you can reach out directly to me if you have any questions or you just want to say, hey, I disagree with you, Chris, at next at Chris at nextlevelincome.com. Again, that's Chris at nextlevelincome.com. I love it. Well, uh, Chris, great to catch up. And for the listeners at home, you definitely want to connect with Chris Larson at nextlevelincome.com. The link will be in the show notes. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.